What's going on, Changemaker? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Today, it's time for a self-improvement sit-down. If you're new to the podcast, typically I share a two-minute personal development tip about a new perspective, approach, exercise, reflection, or observation I had that you can relate to in your self-growth journey. If you haven't checked out one of my quick tips already, I highly suggest you do. They're unique and people seem to like them. But today's episode is different. In self-improvement sit-downs, I speak with industry leaders and experts to cover topics that can't possibly be covered in two minutes to really understand difficult concepts. And trust me, today's episode does not disappoint. This is self-improvement sit-down number 48 with Kira Day. And we are live. Today's guest is Kira Day. Kira is the founder of the Passion Center, where she's conducted pioneering research that identifies correlates to passion, demonstrates how passion is linked to well-being, and created a system that actually predicts your level of passion, which she calls your passion health score. Kira, so very excited to chat with you today. I am so honored to be here, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting. It's going to be exciting. Thank you. Yeah. So I know you can go into so much detail about what passion is and all of the factors within it. And trust me, we'll get there. But just to start, what is your baseline definition of passion? I would say to get passion as simple as possible. Uh, passion equals meaning times investment. So identifying those things that are personally meaningful to you and then doing them is the right recipe to create um, to create passion or the experience of passion. Yeah, and, and I think kind of a way that you start filling in the color of that kind of formula is you talk about external needs and internal needs, right? So how do those relate to this passion equation? So when it comes to like delivering on meaning, cause that's the one thing when we, we're a culture that, you know, we've hyper-focused on passion. <laughs> and when you do that, it can dull its meaning over time. So when you want to get to the root of passion, we realize that like passion's an outcome and you've got to find what is the input that gets the outcome. Well, that's meaning. Um, that being said, just like passion has its own formula, meaning has a formula as well. So to get and drive to meaning, there's, there's actually three areas um, that gets us to it. So it's the individual needs that we all have. There are universal needs that we have, and there's what I've also termed functional needs that we all have. And when those three needs meet, that's, that's when we actually feel the most alive, where, the, where we feel like we're living and, and, and thriving in a very meaningful life. And that's mm -hmm. what it's about. Cool. Could you give some examples of those three different needs, functional, universal? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, let's start with individuals. So there's there's about you know four uh, four individual needs that we have, um, where when they are met, we feel like we're thriving, like we're like we're in our space, we're in our vibe, right? We can get into flow, we can get into the zone, that kind of stuff, and that has a lot to do with you know the things that we're naturally great at or the things that we intrinsically find curious or interesting, right? And, you know, there's a whole back end for why we, we do uniquely have those types of interests and, and, and things like that. But 
those are the those are kind of the parameters that we want to look at. So those are just a couple to to give you an example of what individual means. And individual, it's unique to everyone, right? So it's unique to you, and it's really about unpacking what those what those are for yourself. Um, when we talk about universal needs, we're talking about psychological needs that every human has, right? Regardless of race, gender, sex, whatever the case might be. Um, where we're looking at um, very specific things. So this was done from self-determination theory, uh, Ryan Dacey, and it's all around um, having, well, we, we kind of summarize it as RAM. So it's relatedness, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, right? Um, so everyone needs to feel like we're supported in a tribe, right? Um, Trust-based relationships are huge for being able to impact our psychological health. Mm -hmm. Autonomy, feeling like we control our destiny. Mastery, which is basically achieving levels of success and levels of greatness within ourselves. And purpose, feeling like what we're doing means something. And then last, these are functional needs and functional needs are safety needs. Um, so do I feel safe in my environment enough to express myself the way that I want to express myself without feeling like I'm going to be criticized or hurt? And when all of those things come together in the right way, that's really where we can feel our most expressed and feel our most passionate. Passion has more to do with us as individuals as it does to do with anything else, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm talking about what I find meaningful, that's a very unique thing. And what's beautiful about it, because I've heard, you know, over the years, people criticize passion, calling it very eye-centric. <laughs> But what's beautiful about eye-centricity is if I'm being nurtured and my needs are being met, then I can be more for others. Actually, I have more capacity to be more for others and I want and desire to be more for others. So there is, a, there, there is a, an, an interesting uh, duality when we focus on the things that we find meaningful. Yeah, no, that comes up all the time, which is you got to fill up your own cup before you can fill up someone else's. And, and I love that like unique approach. And I, I think kind of embedded in that is the self-awareness to know that maybe this is what society is telling you that you should value or you should be passionate about, but then you really step into your own skin and you figure out what truly lights you up, you know, and, and that is such a difficult process because there is so much conditioning and, and just ideas that are imposed on you that it, it does get noisy, you know? So the fact that, you know, I imagine part of what you can do is, you know, help people to, to really kind of drown out that noise and focus in on kind of the human that is making these decisions for themselves. So I, I love how, how you can do that. Thank you. Um, I think the passion journey, honestly, is a, it's, it's a rehabilitation journey, right? Because you do have to uncouple a lot of the things that we've learned and we do have to unlearn those things that we want to get to ourselves. And it's, it's super personal and it can be very, very challenging for a lot of people, which is, which is why um, passion is so limited in our society, right? Like Gallup, Deloitte, 13% of us experience passion in our work and in our jobs. Mm. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, can, it can be a complex subject and a very, very simple one all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and I wanna probe into that because you're right, like there's a, like society's kind of been crafted in a way where, you know, we're kind of meant to play a role, maybe answer to someone else's call, you know, and, and kind of, we just run that life. And I know we've both felt that tug uh, at different parts of our own lives and histories. Um, but kind of something that I think is, that at least there's optimism embedded in this is that 
the tide is starting to change a little bit, you know, and I think, you know, with the rise of the gig economy and technology, things are slowly starting to shift to a more autonomous and kind of personal agency world. Um, and, and I think, you know, kind of you've described this as the passion gap is starting to be, be bridged, right? So things are changing at work, which is great, but can you describe what the passion gap is and why, you know, things might be a little bit different now and how we can actually embrace our own passions through work versus, you know, be told what to do and sit in the chair that someone else tells us to sit in. A thousand percent. This is one of my most favorite conversations to have because, um, and I think, you know, it's, it's our own individual journeys that we mirror into more social journeys, right? So in my individual journey, I experienced what I would say a passion gap would be where I did follow, you know, the social cues, I followed that social map, I followed the traditional success model, all of those types of things and got it, didn't love it, and then had to kind of climb back down, figure out who I was again, and then rebrand. Now, I'm fortunate that I got the ability to do that because I live in the 21st century. In times of past, that wasn't really an option. And passion wasn't exactly a value, right? I mean, it's only passion and purpose has been very modern, injected words. Um, when I was a child, you know, we weren't talking about what your passions were and, and what your purpose was. That just wasn't a part of our vocabularies as, as readily as it is today. And that's because we were born into very different value systems. Like when you look at the 17th to 20th century, which is when most of our modern systems were engineered, things like education, our industry, all of that stuff was built at a time where it was a value system in our society to maintain status quo, to maintain safety and security. We'd experienced two world wars. We had a lot of um, very catastrophic things, right? So our values were about getting a job, making sure the economy was okay, and making sure that our families were safe. And that was good, like we did good. What happened though, is we overstayed in that space when our 21st century started to come on and we started to experience more luxuries than before, more comfort than before. So, you know, it's a, it's a very different time, a very different culture. And it's almost like we were tight-fisting <laughs> a lot of those old value systems, right? Everything for the economy, everything for the economy. So school became that. School became that place where you had gone in and you specifically went so that you can get that and land that good job, right? So that you can get that good money so that you can have those good kids. And like the whole, the whole cycle was based on that. And then you can have a good retirement. And to your point, you know, technology has radically disrupted that model. Um, And in so doing, our mindsets have had to, and and in many ways have been forced to change into, you know, what do you do? They say, I, I was reading this report that says that, you know, our children that are coming in to this generation will have something like 15 jobs, seven different careers in their one life, right? So radically different than 30 years ago. And we will only continue to see that increase. So the time is now to really start looking at how do you fit into this again? We need, we, we can recreate that. And I think that's the opportunity that today brings for all of us, the ability to really kind of go a little bit deeper with this, find out what it is that brings meaning back to us, because it's an unsustainable practice to think that we could be working 80% of our lives in something without intrinsically, you know, finding that enjoyable. And again, when values shift, we have to as well, or else we'll feel that tension. And that's what many of us are feeling right now. 
And I also feel like that's why and what that's what's exacerbating a lot of our mental health issues as well, things like depression and anxiety, right? Which is feedback systems that shows us that we're far away from ourselves. So mm. again, passion is about getting back to ourselves, then this is the conversation that's needed today more than ever, in my opinion. Wow. Yeah. I mean, thank you for the history lesson. I mean, that makes so much sense and how kind of we're at this unique confluence of kind of tried and true traditional belief systems who are produced and were valuable to our educators that is now passing that down because that is the frame of reference that they're using to see life. But now things are very much different. You know, I, I mentor a number of younger kids. Um, I call them kids because they're in high school. And they're like, oh, I want to be a YouTuber, but my parents don't get it. And it's like, yeah, I, I know why they don't get it. It's because that didn't exist when they, you know, and it's, and it's just, it's interesting how like those paradigms and kind of ways of thinking about the world really do, I, I thought only kind of existed in more of like a familial relationship, which is, oh, your mom teaches you this. And these are the values that you have. Um, but it sounds like it's also injected in the education system and that there really is this molding and shaping process that's being imposed from the top down because they're being taken out of context. And, and that's like such a fascinating concept. Um, so, so thank you for, for bringing that in because that, that really does kind of enlighten me to like this reality that we're almost fighting against ourselves when it comes to this conversation around passion, because it violates what is thought to be the primary value system, which is support the economy, support your family, you know, play your role, which is exactly what I was describing is, oh, that's the big issue, you know? That's the, the collective mindset, right? Do for others before you do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think being, what's being realized in this time is it's inverting that process and it's saying, you know, wear your own mask first and then you can be better for others. But I do believe that we're moving more into a value economic model versus just, um, you know, our, our traditional economic model. And so more and more, more and more people are going to need to understand what their truths are and how they can take those truths and innovate inside of our society because it's through those innovations that are going to yield the differentiators necessary for us to really kind of take our capitalistic model to the next level, which it needs to, right? Yep. Kind of exacerbating that process, mm-hmm. but like, but yeah. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we've talked about that. So we have had that conversation about kind of the, um, the supply demand curve and how we can, you know, change the expectation to start shifting that. So no, absolutely. Um, in your, in your previous response, you also mentioned a little bit about like the relationship between passion and purpose, which I think is a a really like fascinating kind of, um, I don't know, like, like, obviously I come from a place of purpose. You come from a place of passion. We're saying the same things, but they're like slightly different angles. Um, so, I, so I'd be remiss not to mention Ikigai, which is probably one of the most standardized ways and, and adopted ways of coming upon like, what is your purpose? How should you spend your time? You know, that, that age old question, if you had a million dollars and didn't have to work a day in your life, what would you do? You know, like you'd, you'd find your Ikigai and you'd kind of, um, you'd really kind of step into that. So I'm curious to know first, you know, what you think about Ikigai, but also how passion kind of weaves into your Ikigai. Um, yes. because, because that then is just one of the factors that contributes to an overall purpose. A thousand percent. Also a topic I love. <laughs> um, okay. So the way that I, again, I love using simple formula for these very almost, you know, esoteric kind of ideas, right? Because in order for us to understand it socially and get a lot more savvy with these concepts, we got to bring it down like 12,000 octaves. So if passion is meaning times investment, the way that I define purpose is passion shared, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually taking that meaning 
that you have identified as being personally meaningful and sharing it with others, either locally or globally, um, and having them receive it as value. And that's really where we get into the land of purpose. And Ikigai is the perfect model for that because it shows you how that's done in a very, very simple way, right? So if you look at the first two parts of Ikigai, it talks a lot about finding what you love and finding what you're great at. So if you look at passion, as being meaning times investment. And we went through those three areas of passion. You actually have both of them in there, right? right? You have what you love is a marrying of all of those things um, that are individual to you expressed, right? So, and then what you're great at is a part of that. But then the second part of Ikigai talks about how you could take that inside and turn it outside, right? Mm -hmm. And they do that by, you know, looking at what the world needs and then what you can get paid for. Well, guess what? You're not going to get paid for anything that the world doesn't already value, right? That's why you get paid. That's the transaction model. The world values it. So the, the transaction becomes the monetary trade. So when you kind of take what you love and all of those inner things and you shine that outside towards something, towards a valuable problem that you're solving. It's also kind of like the entrepreneurship model, honestly. If you, if you kind of step it back, you, you, can, you can say they're both, they're both modeled the same thing if you do it right. And so, and so what you're getting is you're, you're sharing your passion with the world um, in a valuable way. And that's, that's, what, that's what incurs, again, the, the, the financial trade. So I think like when I take a look at the holistic model of Ikigai, um, it's, it's a lot about, you know, how do we take, because here's the other part of it. I, I, would, I would also like to mention. In North America primarily, and in a lot of the West, we have built um, a very linear way of achieving success, right? So what we've done is we've, and we've only leveraged two out of the four characteristics of Ikigai in order to do that, which is um, talent uh, and money, right? So in the hiring process in corporate, I'm only looking at your skills. I'm mm -hmm. not looking at else. I'm looking at what you're good at and I'm going to pay you or compensate you accordingly for that. So if you're really good at it, I'm going to pay you more, or at least that's the big illusion, right? But traditionally that's what, what, what it was about. And so when we're looking at success and we're going after, you know, the, the big money game of like, how can I increase my skills so that I can get more responsibility so that I can get higher titles so that I can get pay raises. I'm only focusing on that. So my brain and my psychology is designed where it doesn't want to break momentum. So if it sees a linear path, it's not going to want to break up from that. It's going to want to keep chasing that carrot on the stick, right? Whereas Ikigai is not very linear. It's more dimensional. So it breaks down the brain's appetite to keep going and it helps you to really create more of a, a holistic modeling to try to absorb all of those needs together. So it's a lot healthier is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it's, it also clashes a lot with what we're trying to do here. So it's, 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 a, it's by far probably one of the most interesting conversations to have right now. It's like, how do you integrate more of that so that we're not only achieving success, but we're also achieving fulfillment? Because the other thing with our success model is we're, we're achieving the money, but we're not gaining the fulfillment. We're not gaining the purpose spot, you know, yeah. which is what we're here to, to talk about and really try to solve, which, you know, and, and we're going to need more of you and more of you and more of you because it's it's around social health right yeah no i i mean i think that that's so dead on i mean the success model of 
again, like what does society value as success? And it's coming back to what you're describing. It was imposed upon a post-World War era of like, oh, you just got to take care of yourself, make sure you got food on the table, you know? And, and that is, I didn't realize that Ikigai itself, and just to summarize that too, so there's four questions within Ikigai and your purpose is the, there are four concentric circles basically. And it's, it's the middle of that. And those four questions are something that you love, something that you're good at, something that the world needs and something you get paid for. Um, so when you have those four components, then you find your purpose. Now what Kira is describing is your passion is the first two, which is what do you love and what are you good at, right? Because that really lights you up. That brings you fulfillment. And then the more like capitalistic model in the hiring model is more the other side, which is how do you share that with the world? What does the world need and how can you get paid for that? You know, so here we are really overvaluing that secondary component of it, the very like shared external value-based side, whereas people don't continue to excel in that role because they don't tie that with the fulfillment necessary to actually intrinsically motivate them for self-mastery and kind of improvement um, in, in whatever they're cultivating. So I didn't realize that your formula was that integrated into Ikigai. And I think it makes so much sense that just goes to show kind of how your research isn't just kind of happening in a silo. It really is um, complementing a lot of the findings and in, in historic work, Ikigai's old, right? The historic work that has been done and, and produced. Um, now we get into the tough question, which is, so we can know about this, right? We can know that our work isn't fulfilling us, yes. but we're good at it. Mm-hmm. How do we, and you talked about kind of like the linear path too, of like, this is what makes sense. And this is where I'm going. This is easy to do. So can you explain kind of where that disconnect is in society in terms of why people may overvalue and maybe a listener right now, maybe overvaluing the comfort and, you know, chasing the extra dollar for whatever that means versus the fulfillment and kind of intrinsic reward of doing what you love and what you feel like is contributing something meaningful to society or to your family or what have you. Okay, so in order to answer that, I feel like I need to pull in Maslow. Like, like, and, and I know that, you know, his theories have been updated um, quite a few times since, but there is a huge driver within our human capacity for safety and for security, right? There, and, it's, and it's just, it's there, it's within us. We can't deny it, it's undeniable. Um, and we also have a very high desire for social acceptance and for respect. And as much as we wanna say that that doesn't bother us or whatever the case might be, it's there. It's undeniable, right? These are very, very strong intrinsic needs. And sometimes they will override other needs that we have when you start moving up the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which are like, and you're getting to self-actualization, which is really the journey of passion and purpose. It gets you to that self-actualization model. The challenge is we can't be what we can't see. So when we're in an environment that's constantly feeding us information that says, oh, you know, look at Bob over there, he's doing the same thing. Look at Johnny over there, he's doing the same thing. Look at Sam over there, he's doing the same thing. Look at Sue over there, she's doing the same thing. And everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And you are and you wanna break from that mold, it's extremely difficult because you're in an environment where you're, it becomes an echo chamber, right? And then so your mind becomes an echo chamber and you start believing this narrative that this is all life is, or this is how life is supposed to be right? And who are you to think that life is anything but, right? Humans are beautifully complex. And when we glue our identities into a situation or when we have a very specific goal, even if that goal doesn't serve us, 
we want to get to that goal, right? So we, we become very tunnel. And this is my story too. I was a thousand percent there. This goal of like, this is what I had wanted. I've been, you know, I've put all of my energy, all of my time, all of my brain power, all of my finances into building who this version of myself is so that I can get to that version of myself that I want to be. Now you're asking me to, you know, look at deeper things that are going to challenge my direction and possibly make me have to break down everything I've just spent the last 10 years making. Like, hell no. Right? So I get it. I get it. And it's that thing and it's the attachment to that thing that's also the biggest factor of our suffering, right? So, and I, and I, I say this because it's the, this reality that I'm trying to play with and I'm trying to break this mold myself for others. Um, and I help others break this mold within themselves as well. And it's an extremely delicate process and not everybody's psyche is gonna be ready for it because we do have something called emotional real estate. So if we feel we're at capacity, it seems very daunting to want to overextend ourselves because it, it like our psyches can break. That is a thing. We do have limits as, as humans. So when we're stuck in that survival, go, 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 you know, our goals layered on top of that social expectations, we got families, we got mortgages, we got all of that. It becomes hella complex, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes, and this is what happened to me, <laughs> two things need to happen. One, Um, You need to get yourself into enough pain that the pain of leaving seems less than the pain of staying. That's, that's kind of the tried and true way you get yourself sick and that's how you get out. Right. Mm. Now there is a more proactive approach to this, right? Which is the the approach that I want to build and, and, and I, and I'm super invested in solving for, and that is kind of creating a blended model right? So that it doesn't have to be this or that. I don't have to break down everything at once to start all over again. Those things are daunting. So what we need is we need social infrastructures that help support those transitions. And I'm not talking about recruiters and I'm not talking about education because they fit in a past model. They're not going to fit for this model. Because as we know, recruiters is a, it's a carousel. It's moving you from one environment to another environment that fits your resume and your profile. So if you want to go left and your resume says, right, no recruiter is going to help you with that, right? Education's a a subset of that, but education only works if you know what you want to do. There's currently nothing that helps you to identify what that is and moves you down that kind of curriculum path to get you to where you want to be. So that's actually my sweet spot. That's where I'm working on building the gaps for and creating infrastructure so that people can have an adult playground, I call it, where you can go in simultaneous you don't have to quit your job don't have to do all of that kind of stuff you can go in and gradually start building and understanding components of yourself testing inside of that system and then eventually pivoting if that's what you choose to do based on what you find out inside of inside of that journey but it's an unraveling process and i feel like that's the safer model that's the model where people can actually compute and understand and say yes, okay, that's manageable, right? That's a lot less scary than having to give it all up to go into another direction. So I think like, again, there's not a, 
one size fits all answer to that question because everyone's situation is very different and everyone's stage in where they are and their ability to have capacity for transformational change inside of their careers and their professional lives when every other aspect of their life is in one way, shape or form linked to that. Um, you know, it's, you, you've got to, you've got to learn how to unweb and how to like remove layer by layer by layer in a way where, you know, you can, you can exit in a, in a very, very good place mm -hmm. versus, um, versus taking on high, high levels of risk, which is what people are doing right now. So kudos to everyone who's doing it. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Um, one of the things that I advocate the most for with behavior change, which essentially this is behavior change. You're taking yourself out of one environment, placing yourself in another, prioritizing something new. Um, it is that do something small often versus do it all at once really big. Because again, like you're talking about the needs of the ego and the, the hierarchy of needs, how like we really do hold on to our safety, our psychological safety, our physical safety, right? Like we hold on to these things and it's so common for us to form beliefs around, okay, I do this in order to keep that. And, you know, it's kind of like the devil, you know, or the devil, you don't. Well, like the devil that, you know, is just a little more appealing because at least you know what you're going to get on the far side of the negative spectrum, you know? And, and that's, I, I love how like being intentional about that in the approach of overriding it is the solution. It's not, Hey, no, just get over it. Get motivated. I got you smack on the back kids. Like, no, you're going to put your toe in the water. You're nothing's going to change with your job. Your income's not going to change. You're just going to spend a little extra time exploring this. You're going to get a taste for it. You're going to want to grow into that. And it's just more of a natural transition. You're right. That, that I, I feel like that mindset isn't pervasive enough in culture where, you know, everyone wants things yesterday. Everyone wants things to happen overnight. And that's just not a sustainable model because your brain cannot adjust at that speed, right? So this is the slow adjustment, you know, it takes months, years to do. And, and something quickly that I also want to make mention, because it is the most complex out of all of that, <laughs> is that people have interesting relationships with money as well. So when you try to break people's ties to a certain level of income or a certain lifestyle or whatever the case might be, it's a zero sum game right? It's because it's like you, <laughs> and I'm, I'm laughing because I mean, like I've had this, my husband has this, like clients have this. So it's, it's really, you, there is no other way of doing this than to really kind of allow people to see things that they can't currently see or won't allow themselves to see right now in a really gentle and compassionate way. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's where that's where I'm experiencing the most amount of success um, is where we really kind of like microdose those those ideas and it's also relearning. We don't spend enough time in school learning about the human biology and learning about like the human psychology unless we select those areas. So I think that there's a there's there's quite a few things that we need to relearn about who we are. I, I find it I find it funny that we do know more about our things than we know about ourselves, right? So a huge portion is also about like getting back to know about who we are, right? And and building that relationship with self again and seeing if we're in self-integrity or if we're in, you know, external integrity. And it's it's a pretty interesting um it's a pretty interesting process and a very honest process um to to take a look at those spaces. 
right? Yeah. There's not and, and I think that ties really closely into personal development. You know, people talk about their self-growth journey. Like that essentially is just cultivating self-awareness and putting yourself in and being reflective on situations where you're understanding who you are in these different contexts, you know? So I, I think that personal development is the active process of exploring yourself and beginning to know where your barriers and boundaries are within your self-integrity. Because at night, when you put your head down, you think about the things you did in the day and you're like, you know, am I proud of it or am I not? Why or why not? And once you start getting in the flow of, again, like accepting that like it as it is versus trying to mold it to be a certain way. You know, you said something, which is people can't allow themselves to see things, you know, like that's because we are, there are defense mechanisms that are in, in place to protect ourselves from these thoughts that violate the way that we believe things to be. And yeah. it's, it's so fascinating how, you know, that exists, but then knowing that personal development is the the vehicle to transcend that and to tap into your passion once you like that's on the back end of that process is how do you find fulfillment? Um, you know, I, I think that's super poetic. Now to, to wrap this up, and this has been incredible. So thank you so much. Um, we didn't touch on, and I think this is a perfect kind of introduction to your work for people who want to dive deeper is kind of the actual research you've done, which is related to the passion health index. Like, like you said, you're going into your formula of, you know, you got your passion has these three like needs, which breaks down into four of these, you know, like it's very, it's very built out. And that's how I work, um, you know, without going through all 15 of those indicators. Um, how do like, how do those all work together? I feel like it's kind of, um, you, you've been kind of nibbling at those different elements throughout this conversation, but like, maybe tell us a little bit about like, the broader categories of those different indicators and then um, kind of like how they come together to create this more holistic picture of passion. Before I get into that, I should probably like pre, so I've been doing research in, in a lot of different areas, right? There's been appraisal psychology. Um, there, is, there is passion psychology in there, which is mostly done by Dr. Robert Vellerand and his duality of passion, which talks about passion as, as falling into two camps, two polarities, obsessive and harmonious. Obsessive being the camp you don't wanna be in, um, but are harmonious definitely being in the camp that allows you to have higher levels of psychological well-being. So in all of these different areas and focuses of psychology, and another one I had dabbled into was personal construct theory, George Kelly, right? So there's, um, there's, there's quite a rich, um, embodiment of, of psychological principles that have already been well studied and already been kind of well documented. And so what I was trying to understand was what delivers on meaning, what helps a human feel meaning if, and my hypothesis was like, if meaning is, you know, if meaning is the, the, the precursor for passion, then I got to really get clear on what meaning is. So at first I actually, um, did a very, very simple survey. And at the very end of the survey, I asked one question, which was how passionate did people think they were? And then I sent that survey out and I came back and I looked at the aggregation of those meaning spots. And I looked at people's score on what they've scored themselves on passion and I compared them both. And I said, okay. So at first it was like, you know, a little far off and I got closer and closer and closer. And eventually I got it almost to the letter. And I was like, okay, so this is cool. This is coming back really, really interesting. Um, so I went out into a school and we got about 500 individuals to fill out these, these surveys and we came back and we found that we were able to take the aggregates of meaning 
um, cross-section them over with how people were subjectively experiencing passion. And we were, we were nailing it to 99 points. It started off with 99.1. We did a second one, which was 99.8. So we basically like averaged it out to 99.5. So we have a 95% accuracy with these, with these 15 indicators and how they correlate to passion. So that was really exciting for us when we were doing the data analysis and everything else, because what we started to realize was that people need these things. This isn't just, this isn't just, you know, this like fluffy, whatever, in order for someone to thrive, in order for something, someone to feel passion, all of these things need to be in working order. And they're not only independent of us individual, we do have responsibility and ownership that we can take for our individual mechanisms, but there's also environmental mechanisms that are at play as well, which, which is why it's so important for us to understand what these components of meaning are, because once we know them, we can test for them. Once we know what we're looking for, then we can say, oh, am I in an environment that's creating meaning for me? Yes or no. And if that's the thing that helps me to thrive and helps me to do better, that's the other part of it I forgot to mention. We also measured up if passion correlated to um, higher grades or attendance, and it did in all cases. So people with higher passion health scores also had higher grades and higher attendance. People with lower passion health scores were you know, lower grades, lower attendance. So this answered the age old question of are people passionate because they're doing good or are they doing good because they're passionate? And what we realized was that they were actually doing better because they were passionate, because passion wasn't just one thing. It was a collective of things. What gives us meaning? Mm-hmm. One part being inside, one part being outside. So now, you know, social systems can really evaluate, is my culture or is my space being conducive to helping people feel meaning? If now meaning is correlated to higher success rates, right? Um, and if that's really our true goal, because sometimes we say it's our goal, but it's really not our goal, right? <laughs> if that's our real goal, then we know that there are institutional things um, and social system systematic things that's got to tweak in order for us to really experience all human thriving, because that's what we're after, right? Because human thriving helps everything else just go better. Mm. So yeah, I hope that answered your question. I kind of went off a little bit there. No, you you absolutely answered my question because... Um, you know, instead of, I think the more compelling argument, instead of like picking apart, like, Hey, these are the 15 things that you've got to know. Like, I think the reality of those things are, it's a balance between all of those. Right. So, and I think that kind of comes back to the like linear narrow kind of focus that we have when it relates to passion. You know, I'm trying to fit this idea of passion into that linear model. Like, Oh, tell us the step-by-step process. You're like, and then your answer was, Nope. That's not how you want to handle it because it, it is like take a step back and figure out how there's balance that's creating this. Um, so, so I think that's an important lesson at the end of it, just to be able to incorporate that. Yeah, it, it is. It is the holistic model, right? Um, and and it is challenging a lot of our previous understanding. So a lot of my work right now is just educating, right? Mm-hmm. Educating to, to see this, this is a little bit of a mindset tweak. We've got to look at it as, you know, how, how does this holistically fit together, which actually makes sense if we look at nature, which we are nature, right? Everything is based on systems. There's no individual component that is that works um, irrespective of all of these other things that are feeding into it, right? So just like that, these concepts like passion, like purpose, they're holistic things. And we got to look at how does the system come together to create the output? 
And once you understand it from a systems perspective, then you're actually able to truly grasp the concept of how you're going to increase your passion health or your passion scores. And that can be from a nuclear base, like your familial base, like a family base, to a school base, to you know, a workplace. Um, but again, it's, it's how does all of these 15 components all weighing equally mm-hmm. to each other by the way, are they harmonizing? Are they, and, and then if they're not, what are the areas that I need to work on and maybe supplement maybe after school or after work or whatever the case might be to, to fill it and, and make sure that, that there, all of these needs are being met. Yep. And that is our life work is to change that script so that people start seeing this incorporating it in the systems that they're leading. And then the byproduct of that is more fulfilled, happier and passionate people throughout the world. So I, I'm on board. I subscribe to your mission and I can't wait to support it moving forward. Kira Day, you are an incredible woman, an incredible mind. And I thank you so much for sharing everything you did today. Oh my God. I thank you so much. And I'm so honored to have you as a part of this tribe. Thank you. That was Kira Day. As the founder of the Passion Center, it's no surprise that Kira has a very comprehensive approach toward passion. First thing to understand is the fundamental formula. Passion equals meaning times investment. Knowing that you can dig into what's meaningful to you and how you can invest in that thing to create passion in your life is a game changer. Then we talked about the state of the world as it relates to passion and how history has set us up to live more conservatively but we're starting to realize that people aren't fulfilled and something needs to change. When it comes to creating that change, just like anything, the best route is to consistently commit to something small so that you can grow into your passion in a natural way. And we also talked about Ikigai, the gold standard for purpose. It talked about how passion plays the internal role of purpose and sharing that passion with the world is the externally facing compliment. Trust me when I say this is only the very tip of the iceberg when it comes to Kira's understanding about this all-important element of our lives, passion. And if anything about this stands out to you, then I encourage you to learn more at her website, www.thepassioncenter.com. And center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Kira's from Canada. And you can feel free to reach out to connect with her via email or LinkedIn as well. That's it for today. And may you have a passionate day. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.